Hey everyone, this is David. This episode of Positive Regression is sponsored by Sunday Scaries. Sunday Scaries is a manufacturer of vitamin-infused CBD products, including gummies, tinctures, and energy shots. Now, there are plenty of CBD companies out there, but Sunday Scaries is the number one CBD company among millennials, and last year was awarded top accolades by Forbes, Men's Health, Allure, and Best Products. Speaking from personal experience, I prefer the gummies. I have them right here. In addition to the soothing effects of CBD, each gummy contains the recommended daily value for vitamins D and B12. I've also tried out their YOLO shots, which contain caffeine, so they calm me down and keep me focused on the task at hand, whether that's logging stats for motorsports analytics or editing this very podcast. Sunday's Gary's comes in handy. If you are a Positive Regression listener, you can give them a try right now by going to sundayscaries.com and using the coupon code POSREGPOD for 25% off your order. That's POSREGPOD, P-O-S-R-E-G-P-O-D, 25% off everything at sundayscaries.com. We're 18 races into the cup season. We'll hand out some fake hardware. That plus our in-depth Kansas preview. But first, as always, this is episode 71 of Positive Regression. This is the Nord Crosskopf edition of Positive Regression. If you just said, who? Yeah, so did I, because this was a controversial last-minute change here by David. But, David, we're going to let it slide, because Norv Crosskopf is an owner who had a long history with the number 71, including employing the driver that first came to my mind, which was Dave Marcus. So, David, who is Nord? <laughs> uh, I think our listeners need to understand that you you did kind of have a pout. Like, I wanted my Dave Marcus, damn it. Absolutely. Uh, okay, we'll get there. Uh, Nord was the owner of the number 71 car from 1966 to 19. 19- 77 and he was a unique owner. He was an insurance salesman by trade. He owned his own company and he looked at his newly assembled race team with the gaze of a shrewd outsider. He was diligent about everything. He he had a 5-year plan mm-hmm. that involved winning a Cup Series championship. He hired the crew chief first. The crew chief was the famous Harry Hyde. And then after a few one-off starts, he hired a regular driver. That driver was Bobby Isaac. And Isaac drove the car, uh, first drove the car in 1967. He won 35 races behind the wheel of the number 71 car, including 28 across the 1969 and 1970 seasons. Isaac won the Cup Series championship in 1970, and if your math is right, yes, that is the fifth year of the team's existence. Wow. 
Nord knew that all along. How about that? So uh, after that, Isaac cut his schedule back after the 1970 season. He was a free spirit that way. Buddy Baker popped into the car uh, for uh, 30 races and some change, ended up winning three times. And then Nord hired ya boy, Dave Marcus, <laughs> entering entering his prime. And uh, everyone remembers Dave Marcus for driving an independent car with a with a loose RCR affiliation. And, and yeah, he owned that car. But when he first got into the 71 car, it was owned by Nord. And Marcus went on to win three races in the 71 car in his own right. His best season came in 1976 when he also won seven poles wow. and had an average starting spot of 4.4. Boom. That is incredible. Nord would sell the team to J.D. Stacy in 1977. Uh, Dave Marcus would take over the number 71 number and march forward with his own team. He did stay with uh, with Jim Stacy after a while. Uh, but that was it. Meteoric rise for Nord Kroskoff's team. Uh, one of the greatest single seasons in NASCAR history, the 1969 effort with Bobby Isaac. Lots of parallels, I think, to Furniture Row wow, okay. Racing. What a did you bring it around? A pop-up team with, with a plan that executed on it. So, uh, yeah, forgive me. I had to make the last-minute audible, but I think it was worth it. You're the brains of this operation, so I should always <laughs> defer to you, and I'm glad we did because we always learned something. I just wanted to give Dave Marcus his proper shout-out, and just as a 90s kid, I remember – uh, you know, him in his the later parts of his career in the number 71, he drove a prodigy car. Folks, if, I mean, just put this together, you know, as a young person, someone in their late fifties is pretty damn old. And here he was repping the newest technology available, which was prodigy online internet. And I just thought that was the funniest thing ever. And then he went on to also drive the Olive Garden car, which I also appreciate the Olive Garden. So a lot of good Dave, good Dave Marcus memories come to mind when I think of the 71. So that's why I was going for it, David, but I'm glad we made the switch. There was a lot of energy about Olive Garden in our text message conversation <laughs> earlier today. Are you a soup, salad, or breadsticks guy? All of them. I mean, that's the point, right? You get them all and unlimited. And then you do the tour of Italy because there's nothing more Italian than the Olive Garden. Oh, boy. <laughs> Episode 71, off to a great start. It is the Nord Crosscough edition. Hope you learned something. Let's get it started, David, because even what, past mid-July now, we are officially halfway through the Cup Series season. 18 races have gone by in the oddest way possible with multiple schedule changes and seven weeks off in between, double headers, midweek races, whatever. We have got to the midway point. And therefore, we're going to hold up, give out some hardware because let's, we're going to See how people are doing and who the MVPs are so far and who's doing well and who's doing what. Uh, so I, I think it's time we start doing that, David. Why not we start with most valuable driver? Want to go first? Uh, yeah, I can absolutely go first. I will uh, give this award to a young man named Kevin Harvick. Ooh, uh, <laughs> not, not, not totally young, but uh, ranks first in peer, so... As you do, you, you acknowledge that guy. As such, he ranks as the most valuable in terms of currency. His season has pushed his open market value over $16 million a season. So valuable in the truest sense 
of the word, but we're not here to talk about just that. We want to talk about how he's doing all of this because he ranks 11th in restart offense, 11th in restart defense, and 23rd in surplus passing. Hmm. So this team, this number four team from Stuart Haas, has succeeded this season in part because Rodney Childers, uh, in a few different races, has picked up the car from one track position location and dropped it into another. And in doing so, Harvick never wavered, never displayed a flaw. And when I watch Kevin Harvick now, no, he doesn't have um eye-popping numbers in, in really any stat category outside of production. And when you watch him on the racetrack, there he can he can have a, a hell of a restart every now and then. He's not making these highlight reel passes, but that's okay because it's what he's not doing is most interesting to me. I'm not seeing any mistakes. Mm. I'm not seeing any flaws. I'm seeing which may, driver... one may expect out of a 44 year old driver, right? I mean, th- this is a discussion we had yeah. preseason, and uh, I don't know if, you, if if you took flack, if that's the right way to say it, but there was some consternation in terms of look, Kevin Harvick is getting older. Maybe we'll see some sort of a decline, and it's not there. Uh, maybe statistically, or in some aspects, maybe it kind of is, or maybe it isn't. I, I think there are, there may have been a race that has embodied this season to date for the four team. And that was this year's Brickyard 400. Uh, he won it, but the manner in which this team went about winning it was sort of a, uh, you know, I, I don't know, a, a, a no stats good performance because it, it came from a strategy designed by Rodney Childers. He said at 3 a.m. on the morning of the race, He thought up the idea to shuffle Harvick up the running order, pitting him in advance of the competition caution. And Harvick didn't have the fastest long run car that day, but he really wheeled it towards the end of that race. uh, So much so that Denny Hamlin could not get comfortable, even with a a relatively considerable lead. He was trying to nurse a right front tire. He couldn't because Kevin Harvick was really pressing, really applying pressure to Hamlin. And in that scenario, I think it's fair to say that some younger drivers and experienced drivers, less talented drivers would probably end up in the wall if they were putting on that kind of full court press. Harvick didn't. Hamlin's tire did go and Harvick Without making a pass, without having a restart that stuck, I know he had a good one in the 400 that was uh, a caution, a quick caution came out right after that and it kind of uh, bunched everyone back up, but there wasn't ever really a defining moment within that race for the driver, and yet he still had an impact on the race. That's impressive, and to me, that is valuable. When I watch him now, he is flawless and in a season with no practice and really limited improvement opportunity, this kind of thing counts for a lot. Yeah. Some of these, I promise, will differ on guys, but this was hard to uh, argue against, David. We have the same pick. Most valuable driver of the first half, Kevin Harvick. 
certainly outperforming uh, what we thought his production expectation would be. Uh, he told me, you know, I've had the privilege of interviewing him after that Brickyard win. He feels he is driving better than ever, and he applies a lot of that to the mental aspect of the sport, not necessarily uh, his age nor ability. Uh, and the fact that we are at a time where there is no practice, there is no qualifying. He's got that good relationship with Rodney Childers and his team dating back to, what, 2014, where they can roll off the truck with a lot of speed or, or at least enough speed to win these races like he has and put them in position. And uh, that, that long relationship with the team that he has, he believes is fostering a lot of the success here in 2020. So, yes, for all the reasons David listed and uh, for what he's doing out on the track, I think it's clear Kevin Harvick is the MVP so far. MVD. <laughs> MVD, yeah, I and and I think so too. I think there are some other drivers that that deserve some kudos. I think Denny Hamlin is having every bit the age thirty nine season that we thought he'd have, uh, and then we have an entire second half of this year where, just based on odds, just based on the sheer number of talented drivers and teams, and we spoke about them last week. Someone's going to come to the surface and have a dynamite second half. Uh, curious to see who that will be, but for the first half, I think the runaway choice is Kevin Harvick. All right, we agree there. So let's move on. The most valuable crew chief of the first half. Now, David, I played this one uh, to the definition. You know, we hear this in sports a lot. Uh, you know, you, you, the, the, mo- the most valuable player in the NBA. The best player is always LeBron James, right? But no, sometimes it goes to who's the most valuable to his or her team. So when I'm thinking who is the most valuable crew chief, to his team right now, I just went kind of straight by the numbers, and the numbers are glaringly true that Mike Shiplett, Cole Custer's crew chief, is the most valuable crew chief of the first half. And David, I'll tell you why, because when I went on Motorsports Analytics, I see that he has delivered, Mike Shiplett has, more positions to his driver than any other crew chief. Mike Shiplett has delivered 76 positions so far during green flag pit cycles to rookie Cole Custer. And why is that important? Because, David, we are in the era of no practice, of no qualifying, and he is a rookie, Cole Custer is. So there's no practice time for this young man to learn or give feedback about the car, make it better, get, you know, figure out how to get track position during practice and apply it to the race. This is all happening on the fly. The best way to deliver track position it's showing, it's, to me, it seems, is Mike Shiplett's decisions, and it's benefiting Cole Custer, and certainly it helped benefit him in Kentucky, where that track position put him in position to make that four-wide pass and get a victory. Therefore, for me, David, Mike Shiplett is the MVCC of the first half so far. Yeah, we're not doing so hot with the acronyms tonight, <laughs> but uh, no, I so I, I understand where you are coming from on this. Cole Custer currently a negative surplus passer that that will evolve with time. Drivers change with the benefit of time, but right now still getting used to the Cup Series. And like you mentioned, no practice. So he's still getting used to a car. Uh, And after the win at Kentucky, he said that was the best car he's ever driven. I'm I'm not clear if that's like forever, ever, or just (laughs) right now in the Cup Series. But, um, that's a, that, that was an interesting, um, bullet point because the speed has not been there for the 41 team. But I don't really know what constitutes, uh, a, a good crew chief. I think that is an ever 
changing philosophy, but I believe that if a crew chief is able to benefit a driver, able to supplement the driver with the thing he or she needs the most, and right now Cole Custer needs track position because, you know, we talked about how restarts, he's okay. He's an upgrade over Daniel Suarez. And he won uh, the cup race at Kentucky thanks to a restart, but you don't always get restarts. And he's lacking the long run passing. It's this copious amount of spots that Mike Shiplett is providing Cole Custer that that's the very thing that he needs right now. What I'll um, put out there is, is that, look, you know, I've put this notion out there amongst some in the industry. And uh, one blowback that I heard is that, you know, when you don't have that speed, David, and maybe you're running in the twenties or even further back, it, maybe it's a little easier to make some green flag pit cycle calls. Like almost saying, you know, it's not that courageous of a call when you're running like crap to, you know, to do something out of the blue and, and it, maybe it pays off for you. But I still think you have to make those calls and the numbers show they are being made the right calls on multiple times. Uh, I was looking at your data, you know, mul- five different times. They've seven different times. He's made a green flag pick cycle call that has picked them up five positions or more. So, I mean, the, these are a track record of important smart calls that Mike Shiplett has done in the first 18 races. So I give it to him, even if they aren't, don't have the speed quite yet. Uh, they're making up for it one way or the other. Yeah. And, and there are plenty of slow slash bad teams that also have bad crew chiefs that don't <laughs> make those calls at all. So that's, that's not a guarantee just because you're back there, you're going to keep your position or you can gain a lot of spots. You, you kind of have to make the calls or, or make the decisions that puts you in that position. And Chiplet has done that, but I will, I will differ on my pick. Uh, I, I stuck to the front of the field to, to this, what we've called in recent weeks, an isolated game. And my answer for most valuable crew chief for the first half of the 2020 season is Chris Gabehart. And that's not because he appeared on positive regression earlier <laughs> this season. Um, it is because, first and foremost, I don't understand everything that is happening with Joe Gibbs Racing this year. There are three teams within that organization, each with their own unique set of problems. And yet here is the 11 team. Uh, uh, led by Gabe Hart, driven by Denny Hamlin, and this team is thriving. Going into Kansas, they rank fourth in central speed across the last eight races. Hamlin has four wins all in on the season. And despite being suspended for four races, Chris Gabe Hart has tallied nine green flag pit cycles in which he gained Hamlin multiple positions and that ranks as the sixth most in the series even with the suspension that's crazy and he is retaining hamlin's top five running positions on 67 percent of green flag pit cycles that is above the average it actually ranks fourth after chad Knaus, greg ives and johnny klausmeyer so a little bit of everything done very well by gabe hart I like this team. I like where it's heading. I think this is a real championship contender. I think they'll be in the championship 
four along with that Stuart Haas car that they seem to be butting up against week in and week out. Yeah, and if we're talking reality, you know, I picked Mike Shiplett for the reasons I, I obviously did. But if we're talking performance, it, it is a toss-up. But I was, you know, kind of trying to think between Rodney Childers, who obviously gets his due, as you explained, when picking Kevin Harvick as the best driver of the first half, and Chris Gabart and the decisions he's making. And it's just been fascinating to to learn and hear, you know, some of the, the post-race press um, conference, the explanations behind some of these pit calls and what goes into them. I remember Homestead and just being uh, how how vital it was. One lap made such a difference, you know, at some of these tracks, and it comes down to crew chiefs making these right calls. That happened to be a night, even though they won, Chris Gapart said he actually made the wrong call or just waited a lap too long, but it was fascinating to know all the stuff that goes in, it's going through their heads while these cars are going 180 miles an hour. And, um, and, and he is certainly, it's hard to argue against that, David. So, um, you know, I think they can kind of get overshadowed by the four. You know, the four has had a little more consistent success. And I don't know if you put that all on the crew chief or circumstances or what have you, but some people will argue that maybe we both should have picked Rodney Childers, which would, would have been another fair choice. Yeah, it would have. And, <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, interestingly enough, uh, NASCAR said earlier this week that they are going to stick with the no practice, no qualifying procedure for the remainder of the season. So it strikes me that if there's a team, if there's a a crew chief that's really hitting on good overall race strategy right now, that's Probably something that matters now uh, for the rest of the season. I, I don't know that there are going to be significant changes in teams struggling like we're seeing. I mean, this this probably was not good news for Kyle Busch, right? Uh, their, uh, their mountain got a little bit taller, but for the teams doing very well right now, who are winning races and scoring good finishes as a result of smart strategy. This is in their wheelhouse. And that's sort of why I'm, I'm bullish. I mean, it's sort of obvious to say now just based on the success that they're having, but I'm, I'm kind of in the camp of, I I don't know how anyone is going to truly catch the four and the 11 at this point with, uh, with no practice or qualifying, they are the strongest of what they do right now. I can only see that maintaining. All right. We've hit the driver. We've hit the crew chief. Let's go to this awesome rookie class that we've had in 2020. Very heralded class. Uh, and I think they're living up to, uh, what a lot of people, a lot of the expectations people had for them. So the rookie of the half year so far, David, I'll, I'll go first. This might be easy pickings. Maybe not. Maybe we'll differ here, but I went with Tyler Reddick just because, um, Look, we, we saw RCR have, uh, they won and have a one-two finish in Kentucky. I mean, in, uh, I'm sorry, in Texas, but look, what, what Tyler Reddick is doing, again, I'll, we keep mentioning the year without practice, the year without qualifying, uh, what he could be doing, maybe if he had qualifying, but his production this year is just outstanding, especially for a rookie, uh, larger than the expectations that, that you had for him in the preseason, David. Now, uh, now just visually, you know, maybe, Look, he's going up when we're judging him, right? Tyler Reddick, Christopher Bell, John Hunter Nemechek, and Cole Custer. Cole Custer has the win, but we're looking at the first 18 races as a whole. Maybe some of the Reddick perception is balanced with that Christopher Bell didn't have, is not having that great of a season so far. So maybe if we're pairing them off each other, Tyler Reddick looks a lot better. But when you look deeper, David, 
Tyler Reddick has some of the best passing numbers in the series, right, in terms of surplus passing value. So, I mean, this is a rookie who's not getting any practice, and he's doing great. So you have to give him, I think, the rookie of the half-year award. Okay. I'm going to differ. Oh, no, that's well, you're wrong. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I am going to say Christopher Bell. Ooh. We've talked a lot about Bell we this have. year. So I, I want to bring something new to the table. Christopher Bell's qualifying draws from Bristol through Kentucky consisted of eight draws of 30th or worse. This is a driver who won 11 poles over his last two Xfinity Series seasons. And while it's not a guarantee uh, that he would win polls in the Cup Series, uh, certainly in his rookie year, I'm okay assuming that he would qualify better than 30th. So right off the bat, this is an apparent strength that has been taken off the table for him due to a pandemic and a procedure for setting the starting grid that I view as not at all random, completely unfair, I would say, to a team such as his that exists on the playoff fringes. And this is clear in noting that he has earned 299 points since NASCAR returned from its stoppage. That is more points than Jimmy Johnson, who missed the Indianapolis race. It's more points than Bubba Wallace and Chris Buescher, who both rank ahead of him in the standings. But the big difference, though, for Bell is that none of those 299 points came from a first stage finish. Wow. When you consider other playoff contenders like Eric Almirola netted 37 points in first stages. William Byron has 30. Clint Boyer has 26. That is an advantage. Tyler Reddick's initial track position is even a little bit better than Bell's, and he's still netted 18 spots in first stages. So this is a portion of the race during which Bell, who ranks as a top five passer in his own right, he's right up there with Reddick, and he's one of the best non-preferred groove restarters. So he's got it covered on short run and long run right now. He should be competing for stage points. Instead, he's having to make up a lot of ground because of qualifying draws based on their design, place him at a disadvantage that probably would not exist otherwise. So no, is is Bell currently the top rookie in peer? No. Reddick is the better passer. That is correct. Reddick's going to have a heck of a career if this keeps going the way it's going. But so is Christopher Bell. And I, I've seen a lot of talk about how this season seemingly has been poor for him. I a don't believe start. that's the case. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, I, I don't think that's the case. It's, it's been much better. It's just, you've got to kind of peel through the layers to see what's been happening. He's, he's been making things happen with this team that should be competing for a playoff spot and just, it, it won't at this hey, point. Hey, hey, I'm a believer. Uh, you know, I've picked him as my contrarian contender. I've rooted for him every, each time I have, I've done that because he's come up and got top tens recently. Since we've come back from the, the coronavirus break, they, they've been a different team than those first four races. And, and like I said, comparison is the thief of joy. If you're comparison, if you're comparing the two numbers, 
uh, the two teams, the two rookies, at you know, just on stats, Tyler Reddick looks a lot better. But when you dig deeper, like you just did, you make a heck of a case for Christopher Bell. Another good sign for Christopher Bell because of those good performances, David. Guess where that team is now in points? They're in the, the probably the second grouping. Of they the are in the second draw. grouping. So the worst they can start oh. is 24th. The best he can start is 13th now. Let's see what he can do with a little track position at the beginning of these races. Good stuff. Good discussion there. All right, final one. Uh, I, I wanted to throw this in there because there's a lot of racing going on, both uh, outside uh, the Cup Series in, in in Xfinity and or Truck. So, David, I just want to get your thoughts. The biggest surprise outside of the Cup Series in 2020 so far for you, the first half of 2020. What is it? Oh, for me? Sure. Uh, it is It is an easy choice for me. It's Anthony Alfredo. Really? The sauce. I'm just going to call him Anthony. I'm going <laughs> to see how that goes over well. I don't, I don't want to get into a hashtag battle. <laughs> uh, three years ago, Alfredo was driving a late model stock car for junior motorsports. And I don't, I don't have peer measuring his season, but he won two races out of 13 in uh, what is uh, one of the more prominent regional touring series. Both of those wins came at Hickory, but it should be said the junior motorsports late model program is stout. Uh, he, he very well may have underperformed. You probably do expect that from a young driver. So that's okay. He moved up to what is now the Arca East series in 2018. He joined uh, another top-notch team led by a crew chief, Mark McFarlane, a good winning crew chief in that series, and Alfredo won a race at South Boston. But beyond that, he didn't fetch much in the name of results and earned a negative production rating for the season. Now, that's not great. However, I will caution everyone that Sam Mayer, my number two prospect, also earned a negative peer that very season in that very series. So clearly, uh, clearly not always a precursor for the future. But Alfredo, instead of kind of gaining traction in a short track series, promoted himself to the truck series in 2019. He ranked 41st out of 48 drivers in peer. He had a negative surplus passing value. And his all-in restart retention rate was 36%. Drop the anvil, baby. And, <laughs> and, and after oh, all that, man. he promoted himself again to the Xfinity series. This, he cannot be stopped. I expected more of the same, Alan. Well, currently he ranks 12th in Xfinity series peer. He has a positive surplus value and his restart rate is 56% meaning it improved by 20 percentage points when moving up a series and facing if not stiffer competition other really fast race cars so I did not expect to be here at all with Anthony Alfredo earlier this year I produced a top 50 prospects list his name was not on it and sometimes NASCAR is just gonna NASCAR and things happen, changes occur that sometimes don't make a whole lot of sense. Even when looking at it like I just did from a progression standpoint, no, what we're seeing from him this year doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But here he is in the Xfinity series with a part-time ride with Richard Childress Racing, the championship winning team from last season. Is he lighting the world on fire? 
No, but he's proving his worth as a driver who might be a good driver. We don't know, but right now he's sort of entered the conversation. He's now on that radar, whereas a year ago at this time, I I kind of thought the sauce was lost, Alan. I love it. I'm glad he threw in the sauce. We're going to make this happen eventually. And if he keeps succeeding, it gives me more opportunity to keep pushing the sauce. Congrats to you, Mr. Young, Anthony Alfredo from Connecticut, a great little state. Uh, my biggest surprise outside of the Cup Series so far, uh, first of all, Chase Briscoe, in that Chase Briscoe was right in his assessment. If you remember, David, uh, he made the self-assessment that in this Xfinity Series this year, given the talent pool, Look, he needs to win about eight races. He he put the number out there, eight races, if he wants to show what he has and have a future in the Cup Series. And he is well on his – I mean, eight is a huge number. So I didn't think he would come close to that because who comes close to eight wins at all in just about anything? And then he goes out there and I think he's got four or five on the board already. And so it, it surprised me that he was correct in his assessment uh, I don't, I don't want to say I doubted his ability, but getting those checkered flags is hard. He's gone out there and done it this year, uh, multiple times, as we know. So that was my first and just quick mentions to, uh, Zane Smith, rookie in the truck series. He had some great production last year, great runs in the Xfinity series last year with junior motorsports. So it's not a, a huge surprise, but anytime two big highlights for him this year have been battling for the lead and the win in Charlotte against Kyle Busch and battling for the lead and the win. Um, in where we were just, we were just in Texas <laughs> against Kyle Bush. And I was down there covering them both. And that was impressive. And one final surprise I have is, uh, Todd Gilliland. David, we've talked a lot about Todd Gilliland. Um, the search for his crew chief, I think you put it out there. He has had what, eight different crew chiefs or so in the last few years over his, uh, career trying to co- climb the NASCAR, uh, ladder. And finally, and even this year, he had two races with one crew chief. Then we had the long break. And when we came back, they made another crew chief change for Todd Gilliland. This one, though, back to Chris Lawson, someone who he had a lot of success with in the lower series, the K&N stuff. And since then, they have been a fast truck. They have been a competitive truck. And, look, I picked him to be a surprise winner in Texas. I would not be surprised if they win a race that year, that 38 truck. So Todd Gilliland, another surprise for me. All good choices and, and all interesting storylines uh especially briscoe you, you we felt that he was sensing his time was up he's older for the current xfinity series set and i think he nailed it by looking at the landscape and realizing that two wins against what is a relatively new set of xfinity drivers wasn't gonna hack it i don't think that was gonna get any cup series team owner uh, particularly interested. And now, based on solely on his success, he's put himself in those conversations. Uh, we might very well see him in the Cup Series, and it's due to kind of, you know, pointing, pointing the bat towards left field, calling a shot. And uh, he's certainly done that. And kudos to uh, to Todd Gilliland as yeah. well. Um, it's I don't know. I'm, I'm interested. I'm fascinated. When I watch him, he's thrilling. There is a <laughs> lot to like about him as a driver and the fact that the results have not lived up to the early hype in his career is pretty obvious. Um, but I do hope that 
that all gets rectified soon because again, a lot of talent to be had. Um, we'd like to see that talent carry up. We need, we need all the talented drivers we can get in the cup series one day. We'll see what it can do. Two races this weekend. Don't forget for the truck series Friday night and Saturday afternoon in Kansas, which speaking of Kansas, what a great natural transition we just made, David, to our big Kansas preview because don't forget. If you are listening to this on Thursday morning, you have to get ready for your races on Thursday night because the Cup Series goes to Kansas uh, and uh, for a weeknight on a Thursday night. Odd schedule this week for uh, the Midwest. So, David, we better get to it because people are uh, trying to get this in before the green flag drops. Uh, we always kind of ask every week, what matters at Kansas? How do you win this race? How will the race be won? I always like to go back and look to last year in terms of just how the race was won. And David, again, I, it's only one year of data I'm looking at, but short runs were key last year in both Kansas races. Uh, I think the one in the fall had about three short runs at the end to end the race. And the one earlier in the year, the spring race, uh, it was one, one, uh, it might have been overtime, but it was one short run at the end that Brad Kozlowski went and took it. So, uh, I don't know if, you know, how much you, that applies to 2020 or what you want to look at, but, what should we look at? What matters at Kansas? A little bit of everything. I, I think you hit the nail on the head with with the short runs, but also the getting there. And I think that was interesting to note in last year's playoff race. Uh, I looked at the timing scoring data from that race. There was indeed lap time fall off on old tires, and it varied across the field, ranging from half second to one whole second at times. And if that maintains, then short pitting becomes a viable option. Get on fresh rubber, turn clean laps before the car ahead of you. We could see that. Now, also on long runs, I think this is important. The two best passers in the top half of the field in terms of surplus value, and this was in last year's playoff race, were Kyle Busch and Denny Hamlin. And they finished third and first, respectively. I know the restarts, we'll get to those, but I know the restarts, especially in the spring race, were particularly wild. But do not underestimate passing ability at Kansas. Those who can pass will have that as an option. And as we saw last year, they can be rewarded with a finish. So looking at drivers who are sort of crushing that stat right now, and we've talked about two of them. I'm thinking of Tyler Reddick. I'm thinking of Chris Bell. But I'm also thinking about Eric Jones and Ricky Stenhouse and William Byron and even Chase Elliott. If they're able to do what they've already done well for the first half of this season, I would anticipate this race going very well for them. All right. And we talked, you just talked, the drivers you mentioned having good restart abilities and what could it, it could come down to at the end. So let's talk about the restart dynamic, something we like to talk about every week. Uh, which lane, where do you want to be and or where don't you want to be? Yeah. So this isn't really a straightforward answer. Uh, so let's hope our listeners can comprehend a little nuance. If you are in rows one through three, the inside has a tremendous advantage. In the playoff race last year, the driver on the inside of row one retained 71% of the time compared to 14% for the driver on the outside. And I went back, I watched a few clips, and honestly, this is just a case in which the control car fired off better from the inside. 
But that advantage doesn't pull the rest of the line with it because rows four through seven saw the outside cars have more room and more options on where to go because at times those restarts still clustered. Eighth and 10th place, both outside spots, maintained their position 86% of the time. And from that eighth place spot, and uh yes, there was a difference in tire wear from restart to restart, but the eighth place spot was the common denominator in this case. Their positional gains went as follows, because these are noteworthy. Daniel Suarez gained three spots on a restart from eighth place. Martin Truex gained four. Ryan Blaney gained six. Mm. Chase Elliott gained four. And Kurt Busch gained four. Alan, that is a spot to which I will pay attention this weekend. All right. Smart thing to think about. Why not look back in the pack just a little bit? Um, we look, we, we have eight races left before the playoff starts. Ten of those spots are already filled. We've had surprise winners. So if you are a fan of a driver not yet locked into the playoff, you know crazy things can happen. Cole Custer is now in the playoff. Austin Dillon now in the playoff. So, David, which driver needs this race to go well for him? I'm I'm going to pick a driver who is in the playoffs. I'm going to say Alex Bowman. Uh, since since the win at Fontana, he's earned a second place finish at Darlington, uh, and was the recipient of a good pit call in the Coca Cola 600. But that's about it. He now ranks 27th in peer. He has a surplus passing value of negative 2.6 percent. Only three drivers are less efficient passers, and they are Joey Gase, Brennan Poole, and Quinn Huff. Bowman is in the playoffs. He's got a contract extension with Hendrick, but I'd like to see a sign of life from him and this team. They rank 12th in central speed across the last eight races. They rank 6th specifically on 1.5-mile tracks this season. A sign of life, Alan. A live pulse. Anything really from a driver who nearly won at this track in the spring of 2019. Yeah, we're going to be talking over each other, David, for these next two little segments here because uh, I, I agree with you. But in, in terms of which driver needs this race to go well, you picked Alex Bowman from Hendrick Motorsports. He's already in. You know, I picked his teammates, William Byron and Jimmy Johnson. I know that's kind of an easy one because they're not really in right now. But Hendrick as a whole, and for a lot of the reasons you just mentioned with Alex Bowman, um, early on in the season, right? We praised them a lot. If they had speed, this was going to be their bread and butter. These types of tracks, uh, we need to see some of that again. And if it's going to happen for a guy like Jimmy Johnson in his final year, uh, you got to show us something at a track like Kansas. Uh, so I, I think uh, certainly because of his playoff position, but a, a lot for the same reasons you just mentioned for Alex Bowman, because you need this sign of life from the Hendrick cars. I mean, they got to show up at a track like Kansas. So I, I, I'm picking either Byron or Jimmy Johnson. You picked uh, Alex Bowman, which, which leads me into, you know, we were going to go into our contrarian contender picks. David, for all the reasons you just mentioned, Alex Bowman is my contrarian contender pick because um, for that line of thinking that if it's going to happen, it's going to happen at a track like Kansas. You mentioned his speed on 1.5 mile tracks this year. I Maybe I'm just pie in the sky here, but if it's going to happen, if the turnaround's going to come now, it's going to happen at a track like Kansas. So that's why I am picking him as my contrarian contender. Yeah, I I totally understand that. If, if not now, when? Yeah. For for Alex Bowman, um, kind of the same direction. We you know Bowman needed a result 
and he almost won at Kansas last year. So same sentiments, I'll say. Different driver. Hmm. Uh, Richard Stenhouse II. Richard. His JTG team ranks 20th in central speed on the mile and a half tracks. And Stenhouse ranks as the most efficient passer in the Cup Series right now. I am not kidding. He's either, yeah, he's either going to rip it or wall it. And either <laughs> way, he's a story. JTG Doherty performed so well at Kansas last year with Chris Busher behind the wheel that I have a sense that this place is a focus for JTG. At the very least, it should be a track on which they believe they can perform well. And I buy into that belief. I like to live dangerously. So <laughs> here we go. Ricky Stenhouse, contrarian contender. I can't wait to revisit this on next week's episode. All right, good stuff as we head to Kansas. Don't forget, we are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, and Luminary. We're available no matter your device. Our entire catalog of episodes, it's all available for free at Pod. David, that came up this week because we had a the idea of relegation came up. And I was quick to point out that in May 2019, you brought up the idea of relegation. And I think people went and checked out that episode. So good stuff there. If you like what you're hearing, please leave a rating or review. That stuff really does help in spreading the word. We, of course, noticed, and it is so appreciated. If you like this podcast, tell a friend, shout us out. It helps. If you have any questions, send them to us. You know we'd love to answer them. We do whole episodes about your questions. Hit us up on Twitter at PosRegPod, P-O-S-R-E-G-P-O-D. David, what are you working on? Piggybacking off of this very episode is an article looking at mid-season superlatives. So uh, if you liked what you heard here, why don't you dive into the best restarter, the best passer, the most interesting crew chief contribution. It's uh, just a fun article giving recognition where it's due, and that can be found on motorsportsanalytics.com. Go there. Learn things. Good stuff. Uh, I will be making my way to Kansas for the doubleheader for the trucks. Yes, again, they race 6 p.m.-ish, or no, maybe not. They race on Friday night, and then they turn right around just a few hours later and race uh, Saturday at early afternoon. So two truck races, you know, no uh, no Kyle Busch, nothing like that. So a lot on the line for these truck drivers who are going for, you know, their own playoff and title. A lot could change in the matter of, what, 18 hours? So it should be exciting stuff. I'm, I'm really happy I can be down there on pit road for both of them. So make sure you watch that and keep it on FS1 for Race Up Monday through Thursday at 6 p.m. Thank you, as always, for listening. This has been Episode 71 of Positive Progression. For David Smith, I'm Alan Kavana. Have a great week, everybody. Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now they tell their stories. 
You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.